0: Expounding God's inerrant word to us today is Dr. Bill Schweitzer, who is an MTW church planter around the Newcastle area in England. He's a very gifted man. God in his providence has given him to the church for this time, and the exalted Christ gives gifts to his church. And I'm not going to recite his credentials in front of him. But I am going to say that this brother is a very faithful man, and I hope that he will have your rapt attention as he expounds the word, but also your prayers for his ministry as he continues from us. He will be here this morning and tonight, and we'll be flying back on Tuesday. But he's preaching the gospel of sovereign free grace in a land in which there is very, very little gospel preaching. Uh, England is in a mess. Things are are bad here, and we are praying for that genuine movement of the Holy Spirit to revive his church here, include England in your prayers as well. Well, Bill, I could say more, but I'm delighted that you're my friend, and I'm delighted that you're proclaiming the unsearchable riches of Christ to us this morning and this evening. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Let
1: us pray. Great God and Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good to your church. We ourselves, Lord, are indeed so very unfaithful, so sinful. Yet, Lord, you give good things to those who do not deserve them through the grace that you have shed abroad in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord God, help your people to receive your word in faith and thanksgiving and joy And help me, Lord, to speak the truth in love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in Matthew chapter 28 this morning. We're here to look at the mission of the church. Now, not everything in... The military is perfectly good, but one of the useful things I think I learned from the military was to be absolutely clear on the mission at hand, because if we didn't know what the mission was, then there was sure to be confusion. there was going to be problems. And I remember at one point asking the, myself the question: "Are we here to, A to fight a war, B to keep the peace, or C to build a nation? Because you can imagine that opinion on the answer to that question, that, that has huge implications. For the people you use, the equipment you have, your whole posture, your whole attitude, it makes a big, big difference. And trying to do more than one of those things at the same time is nearly impossible. Well, the military is not the only place where it's possible to lose clarity on someone's mission. And sadly, I think that there are some good men today who are saying that the mission of the church now includes transforming the culture. Now before I go any further at all, let me say this. I think making the world a better place is a wonderful thing. I live in the United Kingdom. I live in Western Europe, a great recipient of the fruits of the Protestant Reformation. And if there's any place ever that was transformed, surely it was Western Europe in the wake of the Reformation. As the doctrine was reformed, as the Word of God was being preached in its clarity, as the sacraments were being performed rightly, people were saved, people were built up in grace, and with the the result that the place was transformed. I do not deny such things. But there is a greatest difference between a good byproduct and the mission itself. And likewise, there is a difference between the things that we do in support of the mission and the mission itself. We should do things like flying missionaries to far off places where they could not possibly have gotten there otherwise. We should do disaster relief in a way that brings the gospel to people and that builds the church. Or even in a very mundane example I heard in the announcements, maybe we should have a covered dish lunch for the missionaries so they don't have to break the fourth commandment. And go out and eat on the Lord's Day. That's a good thing. But can you imagine the difference between that being in support of the mission and changing the mission of this church to being, your mission is to provide good food to the city of Lakeland. What, would that, what difference would that make? Well, I think you'd be investing money in getting commercial catering equipment. And you wouldn't care so much about extraneous things like this pulpit. I think you'd probably be spending money on your staff on getting good cooks. You knew how to do that. And maybe you'd say, I don't know if we need, certainly not two full-time ministers of word. I don't, I don't know even one. Why? Because that's the, the mission. Everything flows into the mission, you see. A difference between the mission itself and that which supports it. So understanding our mission and sticking to it, It's crucial. And let me say, you can be sure that Christ Jesus, knowing how fallible his sheep are, knowing how thick-headed we are, is going to make it absolutely clear to us what our mission on this earth is. And he has made it clear. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Or Luke 24, 47 says, Repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations. And we have the clearest... Most comprehensive statement of the same in our text this morning in Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. The mission of the church is to make disciples through the word and sacrament. Other things may support that mission. Other good things may come as a byproduct, as a secondary effect from that mission happening. But there is but one mission of the church. And I want to show you that in Matthew 28 this morning. But first, we need to consider the basis for all these things, which is Christ's absolute universal authority in heaven and on earth. So these three points in this morning the basis, the mission, and the means first the basis the only basis for our mission is the authority of Jesus Christ we read in Matthew 28:17 and Jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth all authority you know that's very important Because if there is a single aspect of reality over which Jesus is not an authority, then there is limitation to his authority. There are going to be limitations in what he can do for us, for his church, as we try to do his mission. And we're going to have to make up for those limitations. We're going to have to make up new measures, new means to do it because Christ can't help us in this area. But Jesus tells us very plainly that he has all authority and that this has been given to him. Given by whom? Well, the answer is in John 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given Him authority over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as you have given Him. You see, Jesus has been given by God the Father all authority. It's been given to Him for the specific purpose of giving eternal life to as many as have been given to Him, to the elect of God. Christ himself has been given that authority, not for the purpose of redeeming the culture of this present world, but of giving life to the flock that he bought with his own precious blood. And we see that that authority extends everywhere. Jesus Christ is not some pathetic local deity like Dagon or Baal, who have jurisdiction only in a certain part and not in others. Like in First Kings twenty twenty eight, when the Syrians decide maybe we'll have a rematch with the Israelites because their gods are the gods of the hills and ours are of the plains. It doesn't work like that. Christ has universal authority. And that has everything to do with our mission as well. Because if we're going to send people all over the world, we had better be absolutely sure that Christ has authority there. Not just that Christ has authority in Florida, but he has authority in Papua New Guinea and every other place that we send. If there's a place somewhere in this world where Satan is supreme and Christ has no authority, then we would sin there in vain. We can be sure that Christ has all authority on earth. And he has authority in heaven, all authority. And that's even more important, I think. See, one of the confusions is about the nature of the human problem. The nature of the human problem is entirely beyond any earthly remedy. We are sinners under the the wrath of God. And what is going to help us? There's nothing. That's why Christ had to come to this earth. Because there was no one on earth who could help us. And nothing on earth could possibly do us any good. He had to come down from heaven for the mission of saving his people. And when he had laid down his life and when he had risen again the third day, very soon he returned. And now he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Our problem is such that there is no solution on earth for it. If the Father in heaven does not draw him, if the Son who is seated at the right hand does not intercede, if the Spirit of God does not regenerate the dead in sins and trespasses, then they're not going to be saved. If the triune God in heaven does not act, if he does not bring sinners to salvation, then they're not going to be saved. But Jesus has all authority in heaven. And we can be sure that all those heavenly resources are going to be brought to bear on this mission for which purpose he was given this authority. And that, by the way, includes authority over us. I don't know if you've thought about it that way. In this statement of the Great Commission, it very much includes authority over you and I, God's people. He gets to tell us what to do. If he tells us to sin, then we must sin. If he calls us to go, we have to go. And we don't expect a medal. We don't expect congratulations for doing that. We're just servants doing what our master has told us. And certainly, we must carry out the mission that he gives us. We have no authority to do anything else. Can you imagine a conversation between a prospective missionary and the the Lord? They sit down and, well, Lord, I've decided to serve you as a missionary. And the Lord says, wonderful. Wonderful. I have all authority over heaven and earth. Go make Christian disciples. The man replies, he kind of chuckles to himself, and he says, Well, Lord, I know you've got some ideas, but I've got a better one. What do you think that would do? Would that honor the authority that Christ Jesus has? Or would it completely invalidate not only His authority, but any derived authority that we might have when we act on Christ's behalf. What? In whose name are we going? Only in Christ's name. When we act in Christ's errand in this world, then we do have authority. If we act outside of that, we don't. Well, that was our first point, then the basis. The second is the mission. Let's be very sure that we've heard what Jesus has said in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Go. Just briefly, I would say that the mission is predicated upon going. Not everyone has to go, but some have to. Some who are set aside by the church do go. And we'll speak, Lord willing, a little bit more of this in the application section. But you know that going implies something else. It implies sending. If somebody's going to go, then the church has to send. Send. That's what we have in the book of Third John, verse one and, or, uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 6 and 7. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. It requires a church to go. And if you send them forward in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Going requires sending. Go, make disciples. What's the mission of the church? It's very simple. It's to make disciples. What does that mean? Well, it's a huge thing, isn't it? It's a simple thing to say, make disciples, but it's a huge, all-encompassing task. Of course, it starts with evangelistic proclamation. We have to have that. Just think of those other statements of the one mission that I mentioned from the other Gospels. In Mark, for instance, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Or in Luke, repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name. You see how that goes. If sin is the problem, then remission of sin is a solution. And that only comes through faith in Christ Jesus. The gospel must be preached. That's how that making disciples begins, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with initial evangelism. It includes this whole large category of discipleship, making disciples. And that's a sustained, lifelong work of teaching and nurturing, encouraging and admonishing all the things that go in to making disciples. We make disciples of all the nations. That's what all that's moving to. This wonderful mission that God has given His church is moving to a beautiful picture that we have in Revelation chapter 7. Behold a great multitude that no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with right robes. You know, that is such a comforting thing to me. Sometimes as I try to minister in a post-Christian Europe where people as a whole have turned their back on the Lord, I think to myself... No, John has already seen the future. And he has seen people from every tribe and tongue under heaven. He has seen them seated. He has seen them standing. He has seen them with white robes in heaven. And I know, therefore, that they will come. But I also know that the only way that they come is through the instrument of preachers being there to preach to them the word of God. And that means we have to go. That's the mission of the church. It's very simple. I won't belabor the point. The mission's clear. Third and finally, what about the means? What are the means that we're supposed to use? What does the Bible tell us that the means are? You know, Charles Finney, I don't know if you know Charles Finney, he's a sort of father of, of new measures in this country. He's the one who, well, Thankfully, this church is so full that people are in the front row, but sometimes they're not. You know why? Because Charles Finney came up with something with the anxious bench, and you're not supposed to sit there unless you're a sinner under conviction. And then you can come up, and you can have this a special uh, thing, you see. That, that was one of his new measures. And he said, God has established no particular system of measures to be employed. He says, we are left in the dark as to the measures pursued by the apostles and primitive preachers. We don't have a clue how we're supposed to do this. I don't think that's the case. I think Matthew 28 makes it very, very clear. It says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. In other words, we have a name for that, word and sacrament, the ordinary means of grace. That's the means that he's given us. It's first of all, word, teaching them, The work of discipleship is intimately connected with teaching. If you're not teaching, you're not discipling. And parents, have very much something for us, isn't it? If we're not teaching our children, we're not discipling them, we're not making disciples. It requires teaching. And teaching requires the Word. You know, Jesus is not asking us to do something that he himself did not do. He himself was given a Word. It says in John 17, 14, I have given them your Word. Well Christ, don't you have your own word, Lord? No, he says, I'm just giving what the I'm taking what the Father has given me, that word, and I'm giving him. He could have said anything. I, I gave them the money that I want, you wanted me to give. I gave them the culture that you wanted me to give. No. I've given them the word that you wanted me to give them. The Father gives the Son the word, and he gives it to us, and he expects us to pass it along to others. It's teaching. Because the word is the instrument of salvation. Peter says, Acts 15, You know, by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Because those things, that's how it happens. There's a lot of good things. There's a lot of helpful things that we could be doing. But there's one thing by which they are brought to salvation. And that's the word of the gospel. And I would say, by the way, that this word is the whole unadulterated word. It's not one little bit. It's not tailored. It's not cut. It's not uh, There's not... Ba- the parts that are, aren't amenable to the culture aren't excised. It's quite the opposite. In Acts twenty twenty six, Therefore I testify... This is Paul. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men... For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, you know what he's saying. In other words, he's saying, if I did shun to declare, if I did not tell you everything in this word, to the best of my ability, I would be guilty of your blood. That's an awful thought, isn't it? The only safe thing then is for the church to declare the whole counsel of God. And we're not authorized to leave anything out. And then the sacrament, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son of the Holy Spirit. That's the initiation into the Christian faith. That is central to what we're doing in making disciples because there's a way into being a disciple of Jesus Christ. There is a decisive moment. And that is water baptism. He's given us a sign and a seal by which we enter this life if we receive it in faith. The Word calls us, and those who come as adults, then they are baptized. And of course, we know the covenant children. They are brought through water baptism into a life of Christian discipleship. It's the Word and the Spirit. Well, Lord willing, I hope to speak more on the issue of the means tonight, but let's just now apply these things as best we can to ourselves. The first application would be that we should be clear on the nature of the mission of the church. The movement to redefine the mission of the church is gaining speed. And let me tell you, the people who are behind it are not bad men trying to destroy the church, not at all. They are good men with the very best of intentions. But unfortunately, not everything that good men say is always right. It's a little bit like what Paul says in Galatians 1.8. But even if we, speaking of himself, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. You know why he has to say that? Because the apostle Peter himself had fallen into this problem. He was a good man. He was in the inner council, the inner circle of Jesus Christ, and he was sent out as an apostle and yet he missed it on this point. And so we can be sure that sometimes good men end up saying things that aren't quite right. Now listen, if Jesus had wanted to give us a dual mission He easily could have done that in this, the Great Commission. He could have said, go make disciples and transform the culture. But he didn't. And so let's not act like he did. You know, moreover, I would say this. I don't know about you, but I don't think that we're doing all that fantastic of a job of just that first part anyways. I don't think that we have so nailed it that we are running, we are sitting on our hands looking for something to do, and we've got to find more work. No, I think, me personally, I'm not doing anywhere near what I'm called to do. And the last thing we need is to divide our efforts with something else. We need to be perfectly clear about the one mission of the church and to stick to it. And secondly, we should go. You know, it is not good enough just in theory to know what the mission is. It's wonderful that I think this church is very clear on the mission. That's great. But we need to be obedient to it. If there is one constant and consistent objection of the more progressive sort of churches to churches like this, it's something like this. Well, at least we're actually doing something. Have you ever heard that? Well, every once in a while, there's a grain of truth in that. It is wonderful to know the truth, but we need to make sure that we're doing it. Jesus says in Matthew 21, 28, But what do you think? A man has two, had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, but he did not go. And Jesus asked this very important question, which of the two did the will of his father? You see, if we really know what the will of the father is, then we ought to do it. Not everyone's called to go, but some of us are. Some of us have to go. Some of us will be called and we should go. And if you are being called of the Lord to serve as a missionary, you might as well obey. For the Lord has to do for you what he did for the prophet Jonah. He will call you, and you will go because he has that authority. Thirdly and finally, I think we should send. And that's rightly the particular focus of this conference. Going requires sending. And I'll read again those words in 3 John. If you send them forward on their journey in a a manner worthy of God, you will do well. And let me go on. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Do you see that connection? If you send them in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, you become fellow workers. You share in that which they do. You share now, even now, all the missionaries that you're sending, you share in everything that they do. and When your Heavenly Father is giving eternal rewards for all these things, you need to know that you will not lose your share. If you send them in a manner worthy, you are fellow laborers, you are workers together with those whom you send. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we are thankful for your word, which is so very clear. Lord God, we pray that you would help us, your servants, to hear it, to believe it, and to do it. We ask this in the great name of Jesus Christ, who has authority in all this earth and in all heaven. Amen.